Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clatch. This is Marianne Russo. I want to wish all our wonderful dads out there a very happy Father's Day, a special happy Father's Day to my husband and to our favorite dad here on the Coffee Clatch, Chuck Wally. Uh, tonight I am just doubly excited because uh, I am so proud to introduce you to our new host, Dana Commendatori. I think almost everyone knows uh, who she is, but if not, let me catch you up. Dana is an advertising director, author, disability advocate, and a mother to a son with autism. Dana and her husband, Michael Broderick, started Rethinking Autism to change the media conversation about autism from causation and cure to improving the quality of life of autistic individuals. And I mean, Dana has created the most powerful and thought-provoking videos I've ever seen, and they are truly changing the way the world looks at autism. So um, how she could top that is by bringing on an incredible guest for her debut here. Her first guest is Todd Dresner. Todd Dresner is the editor of several award-winning documentaries. My name is Alan, and I paint pictures, which won Best Documentary at the Monaco Film Festival and Founders' Choice Award for the documentary at the New York Independent Film Festival, which is really impressive. Um, Another documentary, Mr. Philadelphia, was broadcast on Philadelphia's PBS and on the back of Giants has also won many awards. Um, Tonight, Todd is here to discuss his highly acclaimed documentary, Loving Lampposts, Living Autistic. And anyone who has seen it is just raving about it. Loving Lampost received the Best Feature Documentary Award at the 2011 Peace on Earth Film Festival. And uh, Todd, Todd is also a, a writer for the Huffington Post. So um, just some of the reviews. Loving Lampost, a revealing documentary with a personal touch, Chicago Sun-Times. A breakthrough film offering the fullest picture to date of the emerging neurodiversity movement, Steve Silberman, Wired Magazine. I am honored to welcome Dana and Todd. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch. Thank you so much, Marianne. Welcome, everybody, and I hope everyone out there had a happy Father's Day. I'm going to turn over the mic and have a great interview. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Um, as Marianne has so kindly introduced me, I am Dana Commandator, and I am the co-creator with my husband, Michael Broderick, of RethinkingAutism.com. I want to take this opportunity to thank Marianne for giving me um, my first show, my first blog talk radio show. I'm very excited to be hosting. I would like to dedicate this show to my husband, Michael, and my father. They are two of the best fathers I know, and I'm the proud recipient of their love and support. So thank you guys. And to all the fathers out there, again, happy Father's Day. I am also really excited about my guest this evening. A few months ago, I was approached by a film distributor to screen a copy of this film called Loving Lampposts, Living Autistic. I was intrigued by the title, and I love to see any documentary on autism, so I welcome the opportunity. I found the film to be incredibly moving inspirational, and a little controversial, but that's right up my alley, so that was great. My my guest tonight, Todd Dresner, opened his mind and really tra- he traveled around the country to find out as much about autism as he possibly could. Along the way, he interviewed everyone from Jenny McCarthy to Dr. Simon Baron-Cohen. I don't want to give too much away now, so I'd like to get Todd on the line and start. Todd, are you there? I am. Hi, Dana. How you doing? Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your first show. No, I think that's great. And I also understand that today is your son's birthday. Yes, he is seven years old today. 
Well, congratulations and happy birthday to him. Thank you. Oh. So, Todd, I wanted to just go a couple thing, go through a couple things here before we start talking about the film, and I'd love to know how you first got introduced to the world of autism, if you could tell our viewers, our listeners, sure. sorry. <laughs> uh, well, I uh, knew a little about autism before Sam was diagnosed. I, I knew the word and a uh, little about the condition, but not very much, so... Uh, my primary introduction was when he was diagnosed, and that was back uh, in March of 2007. He was um, a little short of three years old and uh, at the time was in a daycare for typically developing children, and we were told by his teachers there that uh, he didn't seem to be keeping up with what was going on in the class and didn't seem to understand some of the what was being said or what was going on and spending a lot of time by himself, so they recommended that we get him tested. Uh, and uh, I always say that it's um, that old Groucho Marx joke about not wanting to join any club that would have you as a member. You don't want to yeah. get your your child evaluated at any place that doesn't have a, a three-month wait. And so, you know, we had to wait for a couple months uh, before the testing was done. And um, when it was complete, we were told uh, it's been a diagnosis of pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified, uh, atypical autism, and um, and that was the introduction to the world. Uh, and, you know, pretty soon after that, we got very quickly into trying to learn a lot more about it. And what was, what was your reaction? I know it varies, and most of the time you hear people talk about the unbelievable, um, you know, just depression and, and shock or, you know, just... They just really did not know what to do with the information. So I'm curious to know how you reacted. Uh, well, I mean, certainly a, a lot of what we saw in the media was, um, you know, somewhat hysterical and, and feeds into the feeling of fear that you have when you hear that something is wrong with your child. Uh, but at the same time, uh, a lot of stories we saw talked about kids who regressed and lost skills and people feeling like they were losing their kids, and that was very much not our experience. Um, luckily, that did not happen with Sam. Um, he was the same kid uh, the day before he got the diagnosis as he was the day after, and he just had a name now for the issues he was having. So I would say we were concerned, we were worried, uh, wanted to know what to do for him, but um, this sense of desperation that... Uh, you hear about it in so many other stories. Uh, I don't think it was as great with us as it may be for some parents. Well, I think I, I can I can relate to that. I think my husband and I were a, a bit relieved by getting a diagnosis and finding out that okay, you know, there is something that can we have now we know what it is. We can move forward and work with that as opposed to not knowing. I think that was our biggest problem. Um, and we like i said we're a little bit little relieved but it's interesting that we had a similar experience with the actual diagnosis um i what then what compelled you to make a film i know you you do have a background in film correct yes i had been um as uh, marianne mentioned the editor of a number of documentaries and i was looking to make a film of my own and um so maybe five months or so after the diagnosis. Uh, I was actually 
walking Sam home in his stroller from Prospect Park in Brooklyn where where we live and uh he had this circuit of lampposts that he liked to visit. He really had a little obsession with lampposts and we would go out to the park and uh go visit these lampposts and he would look up at them and sort of wrap himself around them and climb up on the base so he could uh be closer to them. And there were four different ones in particular that he liked and uh he called them his favorite lamppost, uh, the Central Park lamppost, because the there was one that had a different uh, a different design on the top that matched what was in Central Park but did not match what was in Prospect Park. So that was the Central Park lamppost, and then the other two were uh, the different the uh, different lamppost, sorry, the new lamppost and the other new different lamppost. And um, so visiting these would be like a two-hour trip. Uh, with stops for snacks and stops in other parts of the park. And it just sort of hit me as I was walking him home that this obsession was a way into talking about some of the controversies around autism because clearly that kind of behavior is not uh, typical. It's not what a, a typical child tends to be interested in at that age. And so there's sort of one school of thought about autism that so-called autistic behavior should be extinguished or um, you should redirect children into other more normal uh, types of behavior. And then there's another school of thought that says, well, if an autistic behavior is harmful to the child or to someone else, then maybe you should try to change it. But if it's simply a difference, something different that a, a child is interested in, then it's okay. And you should let it his, be. Uh, right. Yeah. And basically his uh, his obsession with lampposts was sort of a microcosm of these questions about autism, and I started to think that that might make uh, an interesting film. So pretty soon after that revelation, I got in to start actually making the film. Well, I think, you know, I, I, it's interesting. You talk about lampposts. My son has different things that he finds incredibly compelling and, you know, spends a lot of time noticing things that, maybe you and I or my husband would never notice, um, and they make him happy. So I, I think it's wonderful that he had his, he has, or does he still like those lampposts, <laughs> or is uh, it something still, that he's thrown out of? Well, he likes lampposts, uh, not as much as he did. The, the mm-hmm. one, the Central Park lamppost that I mentioned actually came down in a storm one night, and we didn't know until we went out to see it, and um, so that was a bit traumatic to be walking up and find that it was not there. Um, so that and they've replaced it with a different sort of lamppost that matches the rest of Prospect Park. So, uh, but he still occasionally uh, likes to climb on lampposts or look at them or look at pictures of them that we've taken. Uh, but it's not as big as an obsession as it was. Fortunately, it lasted long enough that I was able to get some good footage of it in the movie. Great, that's great. I um I just think like a lot of those experiences you can turn into learning experiences, especially when the storm took one lamppost down. I find that you know it's like okay, <laughs> you know your first reaction is panic. Oh no, what are we going to do? There's no more lampposts. But then something usually, like I've found with my son, there's always something, a great learning experience or something that calms him through the whole thing, and we're able to get through it. But um, I can truly yeah, it appreciate. took a while at that, at that particular one, but um. Uh, I, I don't think he enjoyed that lesson in particular. No, but, uh, no, there's probably no. a lesson there. Yeah, I um, I did want to announce so before we go any further that your the distributor has created a special coupon code that people listening to the interview live can 
save $5 off the DVD if they buy it while the interview is going on. So I think um, Marianne has that link. Maybe she could put it up in the chat room to click on, uh, and then they would enter the code CLATCH, K-L-A-T-C-H, at checkout. So if anybody wants to, it's a great opportunity to get some $5 off the DVD, and I really highly suggest that you do because it's an excellent, excellent look into the world of autism today. Um, And on that topic, how did you... choose your subjects did you interview did you find these people before you went out shooting or how did that work because you have some fascinating fascinating um you've interviewed some fascinating people and i'd love to know how you made those contacts and got them to speak with you sure well there were a variety of ways um the first uh two places i went were two very different conferences about autism one is the was the national autism association which is where i interviewed Jenny McCarthy, and that's uh, a conference that's really about um, alternative treatments for autism, and uh, a lot of uh, vendors were there uh, with uh, selling various treatments like vitamins or hyperbaric chambers, um, those sorts of things, and and Jenny McCarthy was also there. And then I went um, also to a conference very early on for the uh, Autism National Committee, which is... uh, very much on the neurodiversity side of of the autism debate and is actually uh, has a number of autistic uh, people on their board and is very much about autism acceptance. So I was lucky to look at uh, two sort of extremes of the debate very early on and that um, was useful in terms of explaining to other people what the movie would be about. And um, once I... I set up a website and posted an early trailer online. Uh, some of my subjects contacted me. Uh, uh, Nadine Antonelli, who's in Wilmington, North Carolina, and uh, has a son, Noah, on the mm-hmm. autism spectrum, uh, turned out to be a great subject, and she wrote to me to say that her son also loved lampposts. And as it turned out, when we went to film him, he wasn't interested in lampposts at all, but it was still a great um, a great opportunity to get him. And... Um, then uh, there were a, a number of uh, other lucky things like that. Uh, there's a, a 60-year-old autistic man in my film named Lyndon and his mother, Lila, uh, who's almost 90. And uh, amazingly, that was, incredibly, found, that was an incredibly touching part of the film, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it's a really amazing story. And uh, even more amazing is that I found her uh, because I put an ad on Craigslist. And she doesn't use a computer, but somebody who was working for her saw the ad and... Um, mentioned it to her and we got in touch and uh, that turned out to be a great story. And then there are people who, you know, have contributed important thoughts to the world of autism who I wanted to get. Uh, people like Simon Baron-Cohen and Roy Richard Grinker, um, well-known people like that. And uh, I was lucky that most of the people that I reached out to agreed to be in it. Hello? Yeah, I'm, I'm Oh, sorry, here. sorry. I I got cut out there for a second. Yeah, I um I thought it was a great mix of professionals, parents, um educators, you know, all different types of people um who really, you know, from different people trying alternative treatments to you know, just accepting who their children are and moving forward. There was one there were one um there was a father and daughter in the film 
that I also found incredibly moving, uh, their relationship. And how did you meet them? Uh, I think you're talking about Charissa Schmeister and her father, Jay. Yeah. Yeah. They were um, at the conference I mentioned, the Autism National Committee conference, and actually Mm -hmm. at that conference, Charissa was elected president of uh, Autcom for a two-year term. And it was uh, quite a revelation to meet them, um, just because for those people who don't know Charissa or haven't seen the film, she's nonverbal, and she uses a speech to or a text-to-speech device to talk. And um, she also, because of other disabilities, types very, very slowly. So um, the the difference between what's going on inside her and what you can actually see on the outside is really very striking because it takes her a very long time to write a single sentence. But um, at the conference, uh, her father, Jay, read um, some poetry that she'd written and some beginnings of the memoir that she'd written, and she was uh, thought to have an IQ of 30 from about the time that she was two years old till she was 12, and they discovered that she could actually read, and now it turns out she has a genius IQ, and she's graduated from college, so uh, to find her very early on in the making of the film was uh, very much a revelation just to to understand how different uh, someone can be on the inside from the way they are on the outside. And I think that was an important lesson to keep in mind as I went further along in making the film. I think that's a very important thing for many parents to see, and I wish more parents um, of newly diagnosed children had that experience. One of the first things that I did was try to find autistic adults and see what they were like and see what you know what what their childhood was like and what helped and what didn't help because I thought that was incredibly important to how I would raise my child. So to find someone like Sharisa that early on is just a, a true gift. Yeah, and it's uh, funny when shortly after Sam was diagnosed, my wife had found a lot of blogs by parents of autistic children, and that was helpful, but she mentioned that to a friend of hers, and the friend said, you know, if ever if it were me, I think I would probably look for some autistic adults, and it was just like, oh, yeah, of course, uh, and so we then did start to do that, and I think that's incredibly important for parents uh, of newly diagnosed kids, because um, unlike when you have a typical kid, you don't see as many models out in the world for what your autistic child might be like when they're, they become an adult, and to start finding models, I think it can make you feel a lot a lot better about um, the diagnosis and and take away some of the panic that there is when you find that there actually is a a life out there for autistic adults. Well, I think in in my experience, I think it was incredibly important to find these adults and to communicate with them because I found, like like your your wife said, there was, was a conversation that was dominated by parents and it was all from their perspective, and they made so many assumptions about things that I just didn't understand where they were coming from. I mean, you know, if their child was nonverbal, how did they know all this about their child? And, you know, I had had so many questions, and I just didn't really trust everything that they were saying. And then I found a group of parents and autistic adults that seemed to be more like vessels for their children and advocates for their children and teaching their children how to self-advocate for themselves. And those were the people that I seemed to... I was more comfortable with, and it seems that you had a similar experience in that. Yeah, I did, and um, that was one of the best parts of the film was to 
meet different autistic adults and see that they were, you know, they do have challenges, but they were all uh, leading what I would call meaningful lives. And uh, so seeing that is a great relief, I think, for any parent. Yeah, it's it's definitely, that's where I think you get a lot of hope and inspiration when you see them. Um just being living, you know, their lives as they see as they see it, not as anybody else sees it. And as soon as you let go of any, you know, traditional expectations or whatever you may have had, then that's when you could see the beauty and the differences and learn to work with them. I mean, uh, you know, we all want to raise independent and happy children. We just don't know what that is until we actually get to know the child, you know, that's in front of us. I um you know, you said that one of your favorite parts of the documentary just overall was meeting the different people. But is, you know, when I make my videos, there's always a moment in the edit room or something where you see something just work beautifully. And it's a mixture between the music and the conversation or something that's happening. Is there is there a part in, your, in um, Loving Lampposts that every time you see it gets you or you feel that wouldn't have been complete without it? Uh, well, one of the moments I really like is when... Um... I introduce uh, Stephen Shore, and I think most people listening who know anything about mm-hmm. autism know Stephen. He uh, teaches music to autistic uh, children. He himself is on the autism spectrum. He was diagnosed in 1964 and recommended for institutionalization, and luckily his parents didn't follow that recommendation. And uh, today he's a professor of uh, education at Adelphi University. He lectures all over the world about autism, teaches music to kids on the autism spectrum. So. I was very happy to have him in the film, and the way that his uh, section begins is that you see a a music therapy lesson going on between him and an autistic child, and the the child is um, engaging in pretty stereotypically autistic behavior, uh, verbalizing and uh, a little flapping, and then over that, Stephen's voice comes in and starts talking about his own experience, and the viewer realizes that the person that we're actually focusing on here is not the child, but Stephen. And I think that's a, a nice little um, a little moment where I try to illustrate that autism is not always what we think it is, uh, and that, um, you know, suddenly we realize that the adult here who seems to be perfectly normal is actually the one on the autism spectrum, and that, I think, can change people's perceptions. And um, so I, I like that moment a lot. Uh, I'm also partial to the the very last shot in the movie, where, um, which is where Sam uh, is out with the lamppost at night, because I, I really kind of dreamed about that shot and didn't know if I would get it. And so those two, really, they get me both uh, whenever I see them. That's that's great. I um and I just want anybody listening to know that you're not giving away anything because all of these moments are worth experiencing for yourself in the film. It's just it is very moving. Stephen's story is great. I love to, you know, anytime an autistic adult can share experience and also do something in the community to help other autistic children. It just it just blows my mind. It's really it's just incredibly heartwarming to see that. I um. I also want to know how has this film been received by, you know, either by the autism community itself or by the general public, and if you've had an opportunity to get it out more than just in the autism community. Uh, yeah, I have. It's played at uh, a number of film festivals and does get some members of the general public there as well as people who know something about autism. And in general, I've been very 
happy with the response. Um, some of the best ones I've gotten, I got an email from a medical student at Michigan State University who um, just is interested in documentaries and happened to find mine and told me that he thought it would really help him if he ever treats an autistic patient. And he didn't mean treat, treat their autism, he just meant treat them in general. And uh, I thought that was great to be helping someone uh, just who doesn't really know much about autism but is in a position that he may meet autistic people that he felt like he could do a better job. Um, that is fantastic. And, yeah, it was, that was really great. Um, a number of reviews have mentioned that it really changed their perspective on autism. Um, you know, I do, as you mentioned, say some controversial things, and I think to some extent the audience uh, has educated themselves about the film beforehand, and it's a bit of a self-selecting audience because I haven't had a lot of people who have really wanted to uh, argue about some of the controversial issues in the film. Um, but what was gratifying is that a number of people who are in the film who I think disagree with me about autism wrote to me after they saw it to say they felt like I did give both sides a chance to air their views and tried to be respectful about it. And that was really one of my goals because I think a lot of these conversations on the Internet can just devolve into shouting matches and the internet really encourages that kind of uh, taking extreme positions and and uh, virtual online yelling just because there's no real life consequence to it. And I didn't want to make a movie that mimicked that. I do have some strong opinions about autism, but I did want to uh, let both sides talk. And so it was good to hear from the people who are actually in the film that they felt like I did that. Well, I, I did... I do think you did an excellent job of that because anybody in the autism community knows that it gets worse than politics, um, the fighting and what goes on on, in the, on the Internet. And it's really a shame because there are people have different experiences. And, you know, when I try to talk about autism, I try to use things like in my experience or, you know, my experience with my child. Um, and But there are very differing views. And, your film did an excellent job of showing those different views but being respectful to both sides. And I think if, you know, no matter where you fall on, the, I call it the autism spectrum for people, you know, what, where you fall yeah, on yeah. it, you um, you will get something out of the film. And there's certain things that you can't deny, and you can't deny the fact that, you know, support and acceptance has some merit and, should be considered, you know, when raising an autistic child. So I do thank you for that. I am. Um, I'm very curious. Do you plan on making any more films about autism, or are you? Do you think this is it? Well, I'm sure I'm going to be interested in autism for the rest of my life. So I wouldn't. Right. I would never say never. Uh, but I don't think I have any immediate plans to do that. I, from a filmmaking point of view, at the moment, I'm a little autismed out. So I think my next film will be about something different, uh, but, you know, who knows what will happen in another 10 or 20 years or something, maybe I'll go back to it, but uh, I don't have any plans to do that right now. Mm-hmm. And did you, so after the film, is that when you started writing for Huffington Post when your film came out, or were you writing for them before that? It was after the film came out. My film's distributor, uh, Cinema Libre Studio, has uh, done a very good job of marketing it, and they pitched me to the Huffington Post, and I wrote a sample piece, which is what became my first post, and, and just started writing for them during Autism Awareness Month. And then, uh, luckily, 
they liked it enough that they've asked me to continue, so um, I'm a regular contributor there now. Uh, so that's very nice because things are always changing in the autism world. There's always new developments, and uh, you know I enjoy and hopefully people find it useful that I have a, a forum to comment on that. I think it's great that that you are writing for them because a lot of the times I I you know my personal experience with the Huffington Post was that they were there was a lot of um anti-vaccine people writing on the site and there was a, you know they gave a lot of people a lot of time you know including Jim Carrey and Jenny McCarthy so I'm really glad to see that that's not the case and that they are showing both sides and letting people you yeah, know I mean good. I think some of those people are still there and uh mm-hmm. in the um, you know, if you read uh, some science blogs, you can find a lot of complaints about the Huffington Post. But uh, mm-hmm. I do them, give them credit for uh, taking a chance on on relatively unknown person and a different point of view. And I'm glad it's getting out to that uh, readership because and so am I, the whether you like it or not, it's such a it's a popular site. So exactly, it's a very popular site. So it is. I'm I'm very excited that that they are doing that and giving you that space. And are you getting a good response from the viewers, or is it is it a mixture? Is it like your film? Yeah. Um, you know, I think the people who actually take the time to comment on the post, sometimes those comments become a conversation between the commenters that don't necessarily relate too much to what, what you uh, I actually wrote about. And, you know, that's fine. Um, I think uh, sometimes on, on the blog is where I've gotten more of the... Uh, reaction that I haven't gotten at film screenings from people who disagree with me and um you know and that's that's fine and that's why um why there are comments out there people are allowed to uh, to post those views um I've gotten lots of uh personal um uh, comments on the film's facebook page or or otherwise from people who have said they really enjoyed it, uh, I think the people who comment have tended to be the ones who disagree a little bit. Um, and that's, I think, useful for me to see because uh, it's always good to remind yourself that there are other perspectives out there and occasionally I see a comment that makes me think or makes me consider uh, another perspective uh, and then occasionally I see a comment that I think, wow, I'm really right and they're really wrong. But um, <laughs> it's good to to have that dialogue going. That's great. I um now there are good, I mean all of your pieces have been really great and if anybody wants to check them out please just google Todd Dresner's name um with the Huffington Post and you can get a link to all of the pieces because they really are worth reading and provides some a very fresh interesting perspective into parenting an autistic child. I am um, I want to ask you a question that I like to ask different people within the community is, what does neurodiversity mean to you? Well, I think um, neurodiversity is a, a recognition that um, some people's brains work differently than uh, normal. And I think when you're talking about autism specifically, uh, I think neurodiversity is a part of this idea that autism is not just a disability, but also a difference. And, um, you know, I think this gets back to the whole motivation for my making the film and Sam's obsession with lampposts and the question of how you deal with autistic behavior. And uh, there's a lot of 
therapies, both medical and non-medical therapies, that look at uh, extinguishing or getting rid of autistic behavior and having a child behave in some other way. And I think if you believe in neurodiversity, you have to say, well, there is, these behaviors are not uh, meaningless or useless. They make sense to the autistic person. And even though we as typical people can't necessarily see how they make sense, that doesn't mean that we should just ignore them or try to get rid of them. Um, and I think certainly lampposts was like that for Sam, and there are all sorts of other autistic behaviors uh, that I think are like that. And the, the question that you always have to ask is, is the behavior harmful to the person or to some other people? And if the answer to that question is yes, then I think you have to start thinking of ways to uh, lessen the behavior or redirect it. But if the answer is no, then I think you've got to be very careful because um, uh, I think there's a reason behind these behaviors and we can't always see what it is. But um, just as I assume when I'm dealing with you, a typical person, that you have a motivation for whatever you do, uh, I should make the same assumption about an autistic person, even though I can't necessarily understand the motivation as well. Right. I mean, I found with our son early on, we did um, a very modified form of ABA because that was what you did, you know, when right. your child was diagnosed with autism. And we found ourselves changing it constantly to, well, you know, let's. why does he have to make direct eye contact or why does he need to stop flapping his arms when he's excited? And, and we found that whenever we were trying to what, you know, they would call extinguish a certain behavior, it would just turn into another behavior and you were just trading behaviors. And it it didn't seem to be getting anywhere. And that was something that we discovered very early on that it's like, well, no, let him, when he's excited, flap his arms or if he's nervous, flap his arms. It's It's not hurting anybody. And I, I always took it a step further, what you were saying, is that if it doesn't hurt them and they're doing it, is it just because I'm embarrassed or it doesn't look good in public? That you know, Then I know that I've, this isn't something that I should be touching with a 10-foot pole and just let him be who he is. Um, but that's, you know, it's just interesting when you speak to, you know, autistic adults and ask them about how does neurodiversity um, play a part in their lives, and I always like to ask parents of autistic children how does you know what does it mean to parent a child from a neurodiverse neuro, neurologically diverse perspective and i think you did a good job of explaining that i am um, another thing that i found within the autism community is that there is a gap between parents of autistic children and the self advocacy community it seems to be that we're not talking enough and not working together enough and sometimes just downright fighting, and I'd just like to know what your experience is and if you have any any way of kind of bridging that gap. Yeah, I think that's a great question, and I think there are things that people on both sides of that gap could do. Uh, I think one thing that a lot of parents need to do is to actually acknowledge that what autistic adults have to say is relevant to their children. Uh, I think a lot of times... Um, Parents will say, well, this autistic adult is writing blog posts on the Internet or uh, being very verbal or communicating through a uh, text-to-speech device, and what does that have to do with my nonverbal three-year-old who's tantruming, tantruming and doing all these uh, behaviors that I can't understand? 
I can't learn anything from this person. And uh, I think that's really an unfortunate point of view. Um, you know, for one thing, the autistic adult was an autistic child at one point, and children will develop. Uh, just as a typical child is not the same at age 18 as he is at age 3, neither will an autistic child be the same. Uh, it, the development may be different, but children develop, so you can't really be sure uh, what about an autistic adult's life is relevant to to your child. Um, so I think you then, because of that, you need to listen widely and see what the various possibilities are um, and understand that the challenges that uh, autistic adults faced are the same challenges that your child is going to face. And in some cases, they were even greater because autism was less well-known uh, when these people became adults. So I think parents have that responsibility to uh, open their minds to listen to these adults. And then on the other side, I think the uh, self-advocacy community needs to acknowledge that uh, that there are serious challenges to raising an autistic child. Uh, someone in my film, uh, Ralph James Savarese, uh, who's the parent of a, a nonverbal child who uh, is about to can enter Oberlin in the fall. He's going to be the first nonverbal uh, autistic at Oberlin. Uh, he he talks about this and says, you know, if if your child is uh, punching holes in the wall 40 times a year and engaging in very difficult behaviors, uh, you, you need to hear from people who acknowledge that and and understand how difficult it is. And it's not enough just to say support and acceptance and everything is fine, you have to uh, acknowledge how difficult it is and, and work on some strategies to try to improve those challenges and then uh, try to move people towards uh, a view of support and acceptance. Um, I think the self-advocacy community gets frustrated because they feel like they're not being heard or they're being dismissed, and that is true to some extent, but I think at the same time they can't dismiss uh, the challenges of of raising some autistic children. No, I think you're right. I think it's um, it's it's very hard to. I, I understand their their position because for the most part they aren't being told to keep quiet. I mean, you've got groups, you know, out there like Autism Speaks that have no, except for as of, you know lately John Elder Robeson, the only autistic person on their board. Um, when it's really parents of autistic children speaking for them, and you know you have a lot of uh they are being ignored so it's 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 important to gain their trust so that we can work together and films like yours i think are are definitely headed in that direction, and it's something that I constantly work toward and you know my goal with rethinking autism is to not have it number one, so you know people don't have to realize that there is an alternative perspective out there, and two that it is taken over by autistic adults. Maybe one day my son will um you know obviously, I'll leave that up to him, but um I just like the idea of working with them and gaining their trust and trying to improve their quality of life through working together. I uh think a lot more will get done that way instead of fighting. And let me ask you another question, if you don't mind. It's a little bit of a personal question, but um, how do you how do you cope? I mean, a lot of people, especially fathers, you always hear about fathers having um, having trouble dealing with the fact that their son isn't going to be typical. 
And I was just, I'm curious, I like to ask dads every now and then, like, how, how do you cope with the fact that your child isn't typical? Well, I was um, discussing this question with my wife when I looked at the, uh, some of the questions you were planning to ask in the interview, and I said, you know, Sam is our only child, and uh, he is completely typical of my child. Uh, everything that he does is, is typical for, for my child. Um, you know, and that's sort of a flip answer, but uh, I think... It's a good a answer. Huge, <laughs> well, there's a huge temptation to um, compare your child to other kids, especially living in a place like New York where parenting is sometimes a competitive sport. Um, mm-hmm. I'm in Los Angeles, and, so I, I understand or, that. Right. And, um, you know, to some extent it's a relief to to step out of that and uh, and not have those expectations for your child, although, you know, as I'm sure you also know, there's a sort of a different... Uh, a different league in the parenting sport for uh, for parents of autistic kids. You can find the the same thing to some extent, but mm-hmm. I guess my overall point is to the extent that I can, I try to compare Sam not to other kids, but to himself, uh, so that if I look at him now as compared to a year ago or two or three years ago, he's made tremendous progress. Uh, if I look at him compared to... Uh, typical kids compared to his cousin who's six weeks younger than him but typically developing. He has a lot of uh, deficits and uh, challenges and I acknowledge that and I know we need to work on all of those but um, I just try to focus on um, looking at where he's been and how far he's come and you can do that sometimes better than others but um, that's a, a, a going to be ultimately a more constructive way to look at things. I think. Yeah, definitely a more constructive way. I am. Um, you know, on that note, do you find it difficult to understand the the current autism conversation? I mean, since it's predominantly run by mothers, you hear a lot about warrior moms, and you know, the mothers are the the heroes and all this. I mean, I I personally don't like to look at it that way. I think. The children are actually the heroes, but um, or the autistic adults. But um, I'm just curious how you know there's very few fathers so involved as you are, and do you find do you find the conversation a little bit something feminine? You know what I mean? More something that women do than men do, or have you right. come across any problems? Well, I think you're right that a lot of um, mothers sort of take over and. They figure out therapies, who who are we going to see, what school are we going to send the child to, and certainly there are a lot of um, online support groups uh, or listservs that are really dominated by mothers. And, um, you know, I, I think the warrior mom concept is something that uh, some mothers I know, they don't understand that concept either. Um, mm-hmm. That's, a, I think, a very particular... Um, group of, of mothers who are interested in recovery from autism and have tried a lot of alternative treatments. Um, and, you know, there are then other groups of mothers out there who are not doing that sort of thing at all. I, I think it just seems to be that a lot of mothers seem to be taking the primary role in um, 
arranging the therapies, transporting the kids to the therapies, making decisions about the schools. Um, you know, for me, I came at the whole thing from a, a filmmaking point of view and got into it that way, and I I know how to make uh, films and documentaries, and so I felt like I was doing something that was natural to me when I started um, talking to all the people that I talked to. Um, you know, when I, I get back into everyday life, you know, I'm the parent rep for uh, Sam's class at his school, and when I go to the parent rep meetings, I feel like I'm, like, walking in on the mommy's group. And, um, you know, it's just a little funny, but I, I guess mm-hmm. that's somehow the point I've ended up uh, in, and I you know, I can follow the conversation um, and it, maybe it's a different conversation than it would be if it was being done by a bunch of uh, men, but uh, to me it's, it's still an interesting conversation. I find, um, you know, my husband is, I do a lot, I'm the much more verbal, outspoken person about autism, but my husband is, you know, fathers don't get enough credit. He's done so much work with my son and you know my when school wasn't going well my husband was the one who stepped up and homeschooled him and you know does everything he can to try to improve his quality of life and I really you know they're just not as vocal as the women I think that's what it comes down to and that a lot of men are um, still doing an excellent job and that fact that you have the ability to make a film is great and put you, you know, out there a little bit. So thank you for that because it's it's an important perspective that needs to be heard. I um I'd love to know what advice can you give fathers of newly diagnosed children? Well one piece of advice I would give does relate to mothers because I think um even though fortunately we've moved away from the uh you know Bettelheim refrigerator mother theory, we're still in a culture where um Mothers are judged for their children and uh, are blamed when something goes wrong with their children. And um, so I think when uh, a family receives an autism diagnosis, there's a lot of still guilt on the mother's part. And um, for a, a father or a husband to understand that, I think, is important uh, so that you can support... Uh, the child's mother when she's doing all the great work that she will inevitably be doing. And that was definitely the case with uh, when we got the the diagnosis for Sam. And then beyond that, I would say, um, you know, you don't need to uh, feed all of these decisions to mothers. Uh, I think there is a tendency for men to... uh, handle things, want to handle things on their own or not want to talk about difficulties or let someone else handle the decisions. And I think uh, the more that you can be active and involved in uh, working with your child, uh, making decisions about your child, um, and being a team with the uh, mother, I think the better the child's going to do, the better you'll do, the better... Uh, your wife and the child's mother will do. So I I would rather that see a lot of uh, men be just as involved as women are. That's great. Thank you for that. I am um, 
you know, we're kind of getting near the end of the hour here, but I would love for you to tell the listeners where they could get get their copy of Loving Lampost or where they could see it, if there's any screenings coming up or any information you'd like to give about the film. Uh, well, there is the uh, the link that's on the um, the site for the show where you can still, for a few more minutes, get the $5 discount, and that's at the... Uh, directly from the film distributor, Cinema Libre Studio. And uh, even if you don't buy it now, you can still buy it there afterwards. It's also available uh, on DVD and on demand from all the major retailers, Amazon, iTunes, uh, Barnes & Noble, Best Buy, all of those uh, places. Um, uh, There's still a few more film festivals that are possibilities. I'm waiting to hear from them. Every now and then it plays on the big screen, and that's always exciting, and that is always announced on the uh, the website or the Facebook page for the film, so uh, you can keep an eye out for that, but uh, definitely can get it on DVD or on demand uh, at any number of places. And how can people contact you? Uh, for either interviews go, or screenings? or uh, People can go to the website, lovinglamppostmovie.com, and there's a email for... Uh, me and also email for uh, Cinema Libre Studio, which is handling a lot of publicity. So um, anyone who's interested can go through the website to do that. Well, thank you very much, Todd. I really appreciate you coming on tonight on Father's Day and your son's birthday and talking to us and to our listeners. Um, So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right. I hope to talk soon. Take care. Thanks. Okay, everybody, that was Todd Dresner, the director of Loving Lampost, Living Autistic, an excellent documentary on the autism community as it is today. I highly, highly recommend getting a copy or seeing it um, at the places that he mentioned below. And please go to lovinglamppostmovie.com to learn more. Um, I have a few announcements to make. Monday, Judd Ehrlich and Margaret Puddington of the film Mayor of the West Side are our guests. And on Wednesday, we have Mike Royce, producer and writer for Men of a Certain Age and Everybody Loves Raymond. And next Sunday, Joel Yanofsky, author of Bad Animals, joins us with host Chuck Wally. Um, once again, thank you so much for this evening. My name is Dana Commandator, and I am the co-creator with my husband, Michael Broderick, of RethinkingAutism.com. Please feel free to send us an email at RethinkingAutism at gmail.com if there's something you'd like to see on the site or if there's any autistic adults out there that have something for the Our Voice page. We are looking for autistic adults to tell us their story about what worked when they were children, what didn't with their parents. It's a way that I'm trying to bridge the gap between the self-advocacy community and parents of autistic children. And saying that, I'd like to thank again Marianne and the Coffee Clutch for having me on this evening, and I hope you all have a great week, and we'll see you soon. Take care. <laughs>